Welcome to Don't Eat Your Young, a nursing podcast with your host, Beth Quas. Before we get started, we have a few quick notes. Don't Eat Your Young is a listener-supported podcast. To learn more about becoming a member and the perks available to you for becoming a patron yourself, visit patreon.com slash don't eat your young. You can learn more about the show, share your story to join Beth as a guest, or connect with our wonderful community in our Facebook group. You can find all those links and more at don'teatyouryoung.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Don't Eat Your Young, a nursing podcast. I'm your host, Beth Quas. We are so fortunate today to have Laurel Ash on the show. She is a family nurse practitioner and also the chair of the graduate nursing program. She co-developed a mentoring program for nurse practitioners and PAs in a large institution and is also was also part of developing a wellness program at the college in which she works. And that is just a sum of the things that Laurel has done in her long career in nursing. I look forward to having you learn from her. Welcome, Laurel, to the show. Don't you give up now. You have made your vows. You might not know how. Hi, Laurel. Thank you so much for being on the show today. How are you? I am good. I'm so honored to be part of this incredible podcast. Thank you so much. Great work. I thank you for coming on and being willing to be a guest. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your nursing career. I've had a long career with lots of different positions in big companies, nurse-run clinics, and um, it's been really an, a fun and exciting career. Definitely some bumps along the way. Um, hard times, good times, just like everyone else's careers. Started out in um, hospice and home care, and then actually started in the hospital. Didn't fit there at all. It was extremely higher uh, patriarchal. And I was trained at the U of M and that didn't fit my training at all or my my understanding of what nurses could do. So ended up leaving there, needed some more uh, independence and so ended up in home care and hospice and then realized that I wanted to increase that independence and became a nurse practitioner kind of at the beginning of not the beginning of the movement, but pretty close, um, was the first nurse practitioner in my county. And so that was really exciting. Did a rural practice for several years and then went to academia because I wanted to spread the good word about what an NP could do and um, give nurses that sense of, you can do this. This is well within your scope. And, and then did that for 13 years, then went back to uh, rural practice. In the meantime, I had started a nurse-run clinic at the, at the student health service. We were very independent. And once the, um, actually it was part of the, the process of getting independent practice here in Minnesota. Thank you so much, CRNAs. Yay. You guys really helped us along. The fact that we went with all, a woohoo, it was an all APRN or nothing kind of plan. And that was the, ma- the way we got it through. Anyway, so then 
we were able to really, you know, spread our wings, start our own practices and all that. Also did a, a cardiovascular run clinic, cardiovascular prevention within a college, which was really fun with another a nurse practitioner. Then went back to full-time practice. We were trying to get more, ner- we had more nurse practitioners and APRNs within the large system that I was in, but they were getting thrown to the wolves. In other words, you got it hired on Monday and on Tuesday you were doing the full practice and um, then they would hit this moment like, I can't do this. And so we were, we were losing people. And so um, two other um, nurse practitioners within the system and I developed three others, sorry, developed a program to tra- help transition nurse practitioners. At that point, it was just nurse practitioners and PAs to into practice with a one year long mentorship program. And that is one of my most proud moments of getting that started because that was a real way to advocate for new, new practitioners within, within the world of large corporate healthcare. So did that and then kind of felt the call to go back to academia and back to academic practice, did some leadership there. And now I am doing teaching, which I absolutely love. And I have to tell you that I have in my heart for 20 years have been really concerned about helping the helper, worked with other disciplines within the college setting that I was in to teach health care professionals about the importance of self-care, which sounds like no big deal right now, but 20 years ago, it wasn't really a thing, you know, which is amazing to me. Okay. Now I'm back to, so now my, my practice is uh, with a company that I go out and do um, healthcare for seniors uh, doing a holistic assessment and a plan and hooking them up to different resources, sending a long uh, evaluation back to their primary care provider. But I get to spend like a whole hour with people and evaluate their home settings or loneliness, all the social determinants of health. So it's been really fun to get started with that. I am amazed by that. And I think there are going to be so many nurses that feel that calling as well, going to the patient, not expecting them to navigate Number one, how to get to the healthcare facility, but then also how to navigate once they get inside the doors. So I think what you're doing is extremely important. And do you have to be a nurse practitioner in order to do that job? In this setting, I think they have OTs, PTs. I'm not sure. It's it's a national um, corporation that that sort of it's really interesting the whole economic model and everything for it. Um, I don't know all the different healthcare pro- pro- providers that they have, but I know they have quite a few. So, and they're expanding. This is going to be like the future. Absolutely. That's why I'm wondering if RNs, um, I know they are patient navigators, but I would love to see RNs going out as well and helping doing some, some of those assessments as well. There's a huge role for them. Absolutely. It's well within their scope of practice. Beyond just public health, but um, going out assessing, you as an NP can 
prescribe and help those people right at the spot that they're living in, which is where we should be caring for those individuals when we can. It's really an honor too, to just meet them in in those settings versus, because I mean, I started out as a home care nurse, so I do get that. It feels really good to be that intimate. It's, you know, with someone in their, in their home setting and you see it all, you know, um, it's, it's, it's humbling at times. I agree that this is the future of healthcare and it's going to go back to the, you know, years and years and years ago when physicians used to go out and see patients in their homes. And now we're expanding that and we're bringing many people in to see them. And I have to say, I'm fortunate enough to know Laurel long before we were on this podcast. And I have to say to you, thank you because you are the one that brought me into education. And I thank you for that and mentoring me there. Oh, and it was a bumpy ride too. I tell you, going into academia from being a clinician is a huge um, feat. There's, it, They're totally different, but I have to say thank you for that. And then I want to talk a little bit about the transition to practice because that is huge. And we're ta- we're seeing it everywhere. Nurses, nurses, aides, NPs, PAs, CRNAs, they need mentoring to keep them in those roles. Did you see any outcomes from the program that you started? We were data-driven because we knew that's how we had to make our program get, even get funding in the beginning. Um, so we had very good data about uh, retention and, you know, I was only there for three, three years. Um, I, I wish we would have had more data about, you know, how nurses, nurse practitioners and PAs were feeling, but we, we did a lot in the beginning just on retention because it's very expensive to um, onboard a new person into healthcare. So very, very strong data about retention um, of of the new NPs and PAs. And I know that this, you know, podcast kind of started by talking about how we were treating each other and bullying. And do you find that part of what you were working on with the mentoring? Absolutely. Unfortunately, uh, as you know, and as I I was reviewing some of your other really great podcasts, Uh, Bullying and microaggressions are huge in healthcare. Maybe they're in many, many other places too, but it was very eye-opening. And I think that one of the biggest pieces of the work for me was seeing that culture was everything. And you can, you can put the most expert person in a crappy culture and they, they're just not going to be able to function very well. Um, and you do see that. You see that all the time. So culture as a leader, for me to develop a culture of belonging, where people feel they belong, that they are valued, that they are respected, can really set the stage for giving each person um, that safety so that they can perform at their highest level. We saw some environments where we were onboarding new PAs and NPs where the culture was so negative and bullying and all of that, that we just at one point just told HR not to put any more new, new folks in those places because until that changed, it just wasn't going to work. So the advocacy piece was huge. And I think as you and I have talked about the importance of a mentor 
you need somebody to be non-judgmental about your even your how well you're doing, but to just be there for you to make you uh, feel safe, comfortable enough to ask questions that we all need to ask when we're onboarding um, without feeling you're slighted or you're not, it's not okay. And that just made all the difference for everyone to be able to have that person to mentor them. And that's where I think, you know, when we look at nurses who've been around for a while, we, we can really be there for the next generation of nurses because of course, all of us have gone through a lot of this stuff already and we just don't want that to happen again. Definitely the culture of the organization, big and the small, like for us, we were sending them out into smaller clinics um, or settings um, can be just very, very, very detrimental or can be really great. So that's what I learned from that process. And I think mentoring in nursing is one of the most important pieces to help us move this next the next generation along. I completely agree. And I don't think I recognized it as much years ago as I do now. And seeing these nurses come out, you know, as the name implies, don't eat your young, but they're being eaten alive. And we need to help them. And I applaud you for the work that you did in this mentoring, because I think it's going to expand into, well, it should, it needs to expand into every portion of healthcare for sure. Well, and at the time, um, the physicians were like really wanting to start the same thing because they felt the same way about onboarding of physicians. It's sort of assumed like you went to medical school. So like you should be able to just like get this like five minutes after you start. Um, so it's you're right, it's every profession. And it's just really a, well, first of all, it's it can be very economically good for the corporation to do this because of retention and and culture so but it's just it's just respectful and um i think we need to increase respect and honor a little bit more (laughs) in our healthcare facilities 100 percent. and we've talked about this before as well don't eat your young doesn't just mean the young new people respect like you mentioned, is a big thing. But I've seen this go the other way too, where younger people kind of bully more experienced nurses. And what do you have to say to that? It's alive and well. I think anxiety in organizations causes people to behave poorly. I've seen rampant anxiety, especially in the last few years. And I'm working with a uh, consultant in one of my cl- in my leadership class at, at at the college that I teach at, and and she uses family systems theory, uh, and it's really amazing how well that works in systems. Where with increased anxiety, you're going to get more the shame, the blame, the negative, the put downs. So you have to you have to work to decrease the anxiety of each place. But what I've what I just saw recently was really sad. I had a student who w- went to their first clinical experience, and the the student was older at the end of their career, but still had a lot to offer. And the preceptor made some comments right away, 
you know, like you're my student, why are you here? And also there was taught, he, he overheard some discussions about him and he had to leave that setting and he may not, he, he's talking about coming back, but we may lose him. And what a waste of talent. This person has, you know, been in many, many settings. They're very, very, very kind-hearted and, and, and ethical. And this is what happens. These kinds of events can cause so much pain and anxiety that the person can no longer tolerate that position and they have to leave. And that's the only way that they can decrease that. So it's definitely out there. Um, I'm hoping that this situation will be a learning one for everyone involved. We're still working on that, but it's, but ageism is out there along with all kinds of other isms. Um, And I wish that we could, I think we need to learn more about our own biases and then be open to understanding ways that we can mitigate that in, in our own world. I mean, we all do microaggressions, but we should have the intention of, not harming anybody, right? We should have the intention of maybe I said something to someone that I sh- that was taken wrong or was not well said. I I, don't, I want that person to come back to me and say, you know, wow, that really made me feel like X Y Z, so that I can say, wow, I didn't, I never intended that. I I am really really sorry. We need to apologize to each other more. And normalize that within settings. Communication. It's, it's a, it can be a tremendous waste of talent. Communication is where we need to start. And don't be afraid to communicate with someone. They're hard. Communication, communicating is hard sometimes. Very hard. And maybe we need to do more training on that in nursing school or in our organizations. I think organizations should offer, instead of the annual training that we spend hours doing every year, let's do something around what really matters. And maybe communication could be a big piece of that. It's so true. It is so true that we need more work with that. I mean, it's everything to be a a good team member and a good team leader. Communication and is just huge. Um, I've seen, I, I saw when I was reviewing some podcasts, I see medical schools are doing simulations on not doing microaggressions. And, and there's probably some nursing schools too, but that's the kind of thing we need to just embed right in our curriculum. I agree. Just as important as so many, you know, doing a budget, <laughs> you know, that's not a super hard thing to learn. I mean, I shouldn't say that because I'm not super number oriented, but the people skills, those are what can really make a difference in in how things flow. And those people skills, our patients know when they're being taken care of by nurses that are comfortable. And then they also know when they're being taken care of by people that are already, like you said, anxious and not feeling comfortable in what they're doing. Yeah. I was a patient this last year and also I brought my mom through several, several different healthcare places. And the the difference was amazing when the staff was relaxed and I'll say it almost happy, (laughs) looked almost happy to be there. She got this amazing care. 
so it is, it totally affects patient care, not only just the, you know, that kind of quality, but sentinel events. We know it affects sentinel events. If you're not, if you don't feel comfortable saying to someone maybe above you, like, you know, who's whatever, you know, questioning their care or, you know, stuff happens. I, I sat on a review board and, and stuff happens when, when communication breaks down or when people don't feel safe. It's, it's more than just a nice thing. It's, it's very serious. Right. And I would say nurses are sometimes on edge because when we talk about sentinel events and root cause analysis and when the nurse walks in the room, usually the first question that they're asked is, what could you have done to prevent this? And there's already blame and shame and guilt on that nurse. And that's another thing we have to change. Oh, you know, to Eris human came out when? How long ago was that? 1999. That, that report was, it's been 20 years and we're still doing the blame thing. Um, yeah, we have, I mean, we don't want to make mistakes, but they happen. They definitely do. So I'm glad that you brought that up because that's really, really important. I, I, I'm also, I serve as a consultant to the board of nursing. And so I end up seeing nurses who get in trouble with the board. And the first thing that I do is ask them to tell me their story. And it's almost always a systems issue or a lack of assertiveness of the sense of feeling like they could safely challenge what was going on. It's amazing to me. It's almost never like a really, it's, it's never, I, I seriously, I almost never see someone who really dropped the ball. It's more about the system and the, the lack of being able to be safe enough to question it or they didn't get the right onboarding. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really amazing to see the, the impact of safety. I think just plain old safety, feeling safe in your environment, like you're, it's okay to question things, you know. And do you, does the board of nursing, do they send a report back to the facility or what is, is there a bridge between uh, the board of nursing and the facilities that employ nurses. Is there any, are there any conversations happening? I don't know. I shouldn't even speculate on that. The huge case that we've all heard of is, of course, Redonda. And what did that system do? Did they change anything? Is anyone making them change anything? And I'm not putting blame one place or another. And when we talk about systems, who is overseeing when nurses have issues or anyone to make sure that those facilities are doing what they should be doing? That's a really, really good question. And I don't know the answer, but you would hope that the accrediting bodies would do that because it's so important. <laughs> it absolutely is. And we need to support our nurses. Yeah. I, unfortunately, my role is just advocating for the nurse. Yep. We need to support our nurses. I was Please, that the ANA did have last year healthy, healthy nurse, healthy nation as their, um, their what they that what they were promoting. So there's a there's a recognition, but as you know, it takes a long time to get these things really embedded into the right places. So the work you're doing is great, yay! 
<laughs> Thank you. Getting the word out. And I know that Laurel and I and a few others are working to help improve nursing and it's one step at a time and we're just in the foundational stages, but we truly are committed to making nursing a better place. We don't want people to leave. We want more people to come in. It's a great profession and I'm hoping that we are going to make some great strides and there are a lot of people working to improve the nursing profession. And it's a place that many different types of brains and many different types of people can can add and flourish and make it a better place. So the more people we bring, more different people we bring in, the better. Absolutely. I'm just so happy to be part of what you guys are doing. Well, in your career, you have done so much for nursing already. And like I said, I am fortunate enough to know the things that you didn't even mention on this podcast today. So I encourage people to go find you. Um, I've read, uh, I know that the essentials that you wrote for doctorate programs, you are a co-author in one of those uh, chapters, which is so important. Now that I am in doctoral education, I can see the applications of of everything that you've done up to this point, which is amazing. Well, and I'm so happy that you're back in academia. That's awesome. They're so lucky to have you. Well, I appreciate that. I, you know, after years of experience, there's a lot to, there's a lot to keep teaching people. Yep. We have to unpack our past and help, help people see their futures. What is something that you would like to leave nurses with today? I, I guess I'm so proud to be part of this profession, even though it's not perfect. I think so many of us come into it because we feel called to do something really significant in our lives. And I want you to hold on to that and find the place that you feel safe, comfortable, and valued and, and make it happen. I mean, if, if you're somewhere where that's not working, if you can't change the environment, find a new, find a new one. Sometimes that's the only way you can flourish is by leaving and, and starting over. But just just remember what you why you came and keep that keep those values and connected to what you're doing and 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 live intentionally and um our our profession will be the better for it just uh, and absolutely if you if you ever want to connect with me I'd be happy to to do that I'm on LinkedIn um that would probably be the best way to do it happy to to give you some support you can reach Laurel. Um, all of her links will be in our show notes. And so I do encourage you. She's an amazing human. I would say you are probably one of the top nurses I know that practice truly holistic health. And even when uh, I taught with you years ago, you incorporated that in a lot of your classes. Oh, thank you so much. I, I really, really take that as a huge honor coming from you. So thank you so much. Absolutely. I would love to bring you back another time and really dig into more of the mentoring that we've talked about today, because I think you have a lot to teach people. And I would love to spend an entire episode just on that. That'd be awesome. I would love that. Great. I appreciate you coming on, Laurel. And please reach out to her if you have any questions about what you've heard today. And I thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. This is an awesome, awesome journey. 
I'm glad I get to be back with you again in my journey. It is very special. Thank you so much. Thank you. Donut Your Young was produced in partnership with True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by The Lighthearts. Find the show, show notes, and transcripts at DonutYourYoung.com. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. But the best thing you could do to support the show is to share it with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening. Oh.